church. Thank you, worship team, for, for leading us so well this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I needed that time of, of, of song this morning. Amen? Amen. Um, as we... Uh, this week I was, I spent the week in Panama City Beach with, with, with the family, and as I was traveling down and as we kind of went to different ice cream shops and different, you know, Publix and things, things of that nature, and as, as we made our way back from the beach, one thing that I couldn't uh, help but notice was help wanted signs everywhere, everywhere. It just seems like all over the place, there people are in need of workers. People are in need of of people to come and you know wash dishes and take orders, and it's hit the restaurant industry particularly hard. And, and as a as a guy who who owns a fast food restaurant, I, I can tell you that the the the, uh, the struggle is real. Um, we you know people. Businesses out there are, are in need of help and in, in need of workers. With with a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that. I know I won't get into like all the politics of it and all, and all but there's a lot of people who are who are right now choosing choosing not to work because of you know expanded unemployment benefits and making more money in unemployment than they would working and and things of that nature. But as as I see all of these businesses that really need help, really need people to come in and lighten the load and produce. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And in that, you know, Jesus isn't, isn't talking about getting a job at Chick-fil-A or getting a job as a server or, you know, anything. Jesus is saying that, that out there, there is this surplus of people who need to hear the gospel. But those who are willing to work are few. Those who are willing to pick up the plow are few. As you sit in your chair this, this morning... Do you consider yourself a worker? Do you consider yourself a worker for Christ Jesus? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I can tell you, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are indeed called to put your hand to the plow. You are indeed called, each and every one of you, to full-time ministry. Every one of you. Every single one of you is called to full-time ministry. Myself included. Your primary identity in life should be that of a worker for Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about what it means to be a worker for Christ Jesus this morning. Because as we approach Luke chapter 9, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to see that Jesus, he puts his disciples to work. 
He puts his disciples to work, and he, and he kind of defines what that work is going to look like. He gives them a training session of, of sorts. He gives them an orientation of sorts as he sends his workers out. My main point this morning, before we read the text, we're going to be in Luke 9, 1 through 6, is this. My main point is this, that Jesus sends his workers out in his power to proclaim his message, rely on his provision, and trust him with the results. I'll say that again. Jesus sends his workers out in his power to proclaim his message, rely on his provision, and trust him with the results. We'll suss that out as we read the text and then I preach the text. So follow along as I read in Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus sends his workers out in his power to proclaim his message, rely on his provision, and trust him with the results. Point one, the workers are Jesus' workers. The workers are Jesus' workers. We see this in, in the first part of verse 1a, that Jesus, he calls the 12 together. He summons them. He commissions them. He, he brings them in, just the 12. Now, now, we know that there's many disciples at this point. There are many who, have, who are following Jesus, many who follow Jesus just for his miracles. But then there's really many sincere followers of Jesus as well, disciples of Christ Jesus. But then, as we remember back in, in uh, chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, Jesus calls his disciples together. And he chooses among them 12 to be his apostles. So, so, so right here in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 9, he calls the 12 together. He's referring to the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles listed in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And they are his disciples, his apostles, summoned and called by him, gathered by him, commissioned by him. And this is the first time that Jesus is going to be sending anybody out. At, at, at this point in Luke, we've seen Jesus going and, and, and mainly doing ministry by himself. I mean, yes, his apostles are present, his disciples are present. Uh, even as we saw last week, as, as Jesus went and, and healed Jairus' daughter, in that room as he laid hands on that dead body, that dead little girl, and he brought her back to life, who was present in the room with him? Peter, James, and John. They were there. Jesus' disciples have been present in Jesus' ministry thus far, but they've just been present in, in, in witnessing the glories of Christ. And now at this point, Jesus invites the apostles to get into the game. Nothing like getting into the game. When I, uh, when I played football in high school, 
There was a point in which I was good, but there was a point in which I was really not good. But that point when I was not good, I was a sophomore in high school. The only time I'd usually get into the game is when we were up big. And then they'd be like, yo, Otten, come on. Yes, I'm not going to mess it up. But nonetheless, it was exciting to get into the game. You know what it's like? Maybe some of you guys are good athletes. I know James was, was always a good athlete, and all his kids are good athletes. And Sosby is a good athlete. Hunter, he's a good athlete. But me, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the best athlete, you know? So it's just exciting to get into the game. Here, Jesus, he, he, he invites his apostles to, to get into the game, to, to put their hand to the plow, to work, and he's sending them out. But you've got to understand this. They are his disciples. This isn't some kind of little franchise model here where they get to go out and have their own little individual businesses where they're the boss. No, they're Jesus' disciples. They're Jesus' workers. They're they're working for him. They are his apostles. They, They are his messengers. It's important to remember that distinction. That even though those of us, we are ministers for Christ Jesus. Paul always talks about this in his, in his opening letters to these churches. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, 2 Corinthians 1.1, Galatians 1.1, Ephesians 1.1, Colossians 1, 1 Timothy 1. You know how Paul identifies himself as what? Just Paul the apostle, right? No. Apostle of what? Apostle of Christ Jesus. That I am Christ worker. I am Christ messenger. I am Christ's worker. And he's sending them out as his representatives, as his workers. And let's, let's remember that these, these, these individuals, these apostles, they're going out after witnessing the glories of Christ, after witnessing the holy of, holiness of Christ, after spending time seeing his glories for themselves. Not seeing it through the lens of someone else. Oh, to be a worker of Christ, the first thing you must do, friend, is to gaze upon the beauties of Christ in his word for yourself. I was, I was listening to a Paul Washer sermon yesterday. And he was making a lot of good points and, and thinking a lot of the same things that I, that I kind of resonated with this text. But, but one of the things he points out, you can read all the Puritan books that you want. That's great. You can listen to all the John Piper that you want. You can listen to all the Matt Chandler or whoever that is that you want. But you must, Christian, to be a good worker for Christ Jesus, you must open the word of God for yourself and feast. You must study and you must gaze. You must gaze to see Christ as he is, as presented in his word. It does take time. It does take commitment. It does take discipline. But as as we by faith open up the word of God and, and, and we gaze, the Holy Spirit reveals the living Christ to us and he changes and he stirs our affections. And only when we do that can we can we go out and minister. We gaze upon Christ. Just as Jesus' apostles here, they spent I don't exactly know how long at this point, weeks, months, a year, gazing upon Christ before he sends them out. 
gazing upon his power, gazing upon his holiness, feasting on it. Before, and then he calls them together. And today, we minister, church, community Bible church ministers, community Bible church works because Christ has gathered us. He saved us. He sanctified us. He's equipped us. And he has sent us. We are called to minister. We are called to work. We are called to go. We are called to put our hand to the plow. Yes, every one of you. But know this. This isn't your church. This isn't my pulpit. This is Christ's church. This isn't your family's church. This is Christ's church. This is Christ's ministry. This is Christ's message. You are Christ's disciple. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our teacher. In the context of working, He is our boss. Do you know what? We look to Him. We look to Him and say, Boss, King, Lord, what would you have me do? We open his word and we seek to obey. Why? Because the workers are Jesus' workers. May that bring us a great deal of joy, but also a great deal of humility. Knowing that we don't minister with our ideas. We don't minister with our strength. We are workers of Christ Jesus. May we find joy in that. Point two, Jesus' workers go out in his power and his authority. Jesus' workers go out in his power and his authority. Yes, they're his workers, but they go out in his power and his authority. We see this in the second half of verse 1. It says, he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, this is simply amazing. Can you imagine, you know, you're traveling with Jesus at this point, <coughs> and, you're, and you're seeing all these mighty works that he, he did. Healing a leper, calming a storm, healing the sick, healing the hemorrhaging woman, raising the dead multiple times at this point. Jesus is, is basically giving these apostles a blueprint of the type of ministry that they would be doing up at this point. And he sends them out. He says, you know, you know how I casted out the legions and put them in the pigs? Yeah, disciples, you're going to go do that. You're going to go cast out demons. You're going to, you're, you're going to, I'm going to give you that type of authority. I'm going to give you that type of power. You know, oh, you, oh, you remember Jairus' daughter last week? Remember, remember that? You're about to go do that. You're going to, you're going to heal the sick. Jesus gives these apostles that type of power, that type of authority. Does that not amaze you? I mean, do you, do you read this and do you, do, you, do, you look at, do you look at this and think, man, I just, I, just, I just wish just for one moment, just one time in my life, just once, 
that I could, either one, demons or diseases, just, just one, I, I, just one, one fever. Like my kid's got a fever and he won't sleep, but just one time, Lord, just give me the power to say, child, be still and his fever's gone and I can sleep. Just once. Do you, do, am I the only one? Just one time. One time that power, that authority. It's, it's, it's interesting that these apostles here, they, they obviously they, they go out and do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that they conjured up this power of themselves. It's, 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 the, it's the Lord worked through them. He, he gave them this power through the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit. They don't go on their own authority. They don't go on their own power. They didn't go to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and, and learn how to perform, you know, miracles. The Lord, in His sovereignty, by the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, allows them to cast out demons and cure diseases. But later, after Christ is dead and buried and he rises again from, from, from the grave, he tells his apostles to go and to wait. Wait for what? Wait for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That same type of power that they have there in Acts 1, that same type of indwelling, that same type of power by which the apostles would cast out demons and cure diseases, guess what? If you are in Christ Jesus, that same power lives in you right now. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Maybe you're not aware of that. But Christian, that same power lives in you today. He's working in you. If you're a minister of Christ Jesus, he's working through you. Does that amaze you? Does that amaze you that this, that same power lives in you today? In Matthew 28, Jesus sends the apostles out, as we think of the Great Commission, he sends them out in his authority. He says, go. He doesn't just say go. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. I like what Doug Wilson says. I'll summarize it. He says, if you go without going therefore, then you go and sin. If you go without going in the fact that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ, if you don't go in that authority, in that reality, then you go and sin. You're going in the flesh. You're going with your own ideas and your own strength. Today, Jesus 
He, he sent those apostles out in his authority. And today, he sends workers out still today, the Great Commission, by the authority of Jesus Christ. Not by the authority of, of John Piper or John MacArthur or, or anyone in this church. We are commanded to go by and with the authority of Jesus Christ. To make disciples of every nation. Every single one of us. That is our call. By the authority and commandment of Christ Jesus to go. Here Jesus sends his workers out in his authority, but also he sends out workers with his power. He, he doesn't just send us out into the world just commanding us to go. He sends us with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this in John 16, 7 through 11. Jesus tells his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That same power that healed diseases and cast out demons works through you today, friend, to convict the world concerning sin, to open eyes to see Christ, to, to, to give hearts that long to follow Jesus and make much of his name. It's not you that does it. It's not me that does it through, through the preaching of the word. It's the Holy Spirit that works through this. Oh, who cares what I say in here, church? The, the, the one doing the real work in here right now in this very moment through the preaching of the word is the Holy Spirit. The, the, the one really working through the singing is the Holy Spirit. Through small group discipleship is the Holy Spirit. Through catechisms with your children is the Holy Spirit. Through Pat going to Liberia, it's the Holy Spirit. We're, we're but vessels and workers through which the Holy Spirit works. And the same Holy Spirit that worked in these apostles is the same Spirit working in you today and working here right now. Amen. That should excite us. Jesus' workers go out in his power, in his authority. Point three, Jesus' workers proclaim Jesus' message. Jesus' workers proclaim Jesus' message. And, and we see this in verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He gives them power, he gives them authority, and he sends them out to use that power and authority to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's their message. Their message is the kingdom of God. Now, know when we, when, we, when we think about this term, the kingdom of God, it's already been brought up quite a bit here in Luke, and, and Matt's referenced it, I've referenced it, Tom's referenced it. I think, I think every one of us who's preached thus far in, in the book of Luke, we've, we've, we've dove a little bit into the kingdom of God. And when we think about the kingdom of God, the, the, the problem is, is that, that often it causes us just a little bit to like a, a little tension because we've either got way too big of a, like, of a concept of the kingdom of God or way too narrow of an idea of the kingdom of God. We, we sometimes we want to we wanna dwindle uh, the kingdom of God down to just Revelation 20 and that's it, or we want to we, we make it just too much. But here's the reality. The Bible speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. 
What's, what, what, are they, what are they preaching here? It doesn't, it doesn't exactly tell us, but we know the kingdom of God is Jesus' message. The kingdom of God was John's message. The kingdom of God's going to be the message of the disciples after Jesus you know, ascends back into heaven. That's the message. And so, there's many aspects of it. It's a very, very, very complex topic. One that we cannot exhaust today. One that we will spend a lifetime exhausting. But, but we know this. We, I believe they preached about God's sovereign rule over all creation. An idea that starts in Genesis 1 and ends in, in, in Revelation. Cover to cover. In the beginning, God. God's sovereign rule over all creation. I, they preached that God's kingdom was near. Jesus says that the kingdom is near to you because I am here doing work. But they also preached that God's kingdom was to come. That it is something that we also wait for, that we anticipate, that we long for. A day when there will be no one, no one thing or one person who stands opposed to Christ. We long for that day. When his kingdom comes, they also, I believe, preached, as, as we'd see about that John preached and Christ preached, that they preached the king's coming judgment. That he would come to rule and to reign and, 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 to, and to bring out his wrath upon those who are against him. And like John, I believe that he called for the, in, in light of this message of the kingdom of God, he called them to repent of their sin, to turn. To turn to the king. To put their eyes toward the king. Not towards their sin, not towards themselves, not towards this world, but to the king. It's a big message. The kingdom of God is one giant message. At times it's specific. At times it's very broad. But it is a glorious glorious message, and, and that was their message. And it was accompanied with works. Mighty, miraculous works. This wasn't uncommon. We, we, we see this in Exodus when, when God is sending Moses. He's equipping Moses to, and calling Moses to go and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people free. Moses is like, how are they going to know that, like, I'm from God? Because anybody could just, that's a good question, Moses. That's, I mean, use your breath. Like, you just, anybody can walk up and say, well, God told me. We see it, don't we? God told me this. God, told, God just wanted me to tell you this. And we see it all the time. People speak for God. Maybe you speak for God. Maybe that's what you do. I just really feel God's telling me just to tell you that my neighbor told me. We all will do that. God tells Moses, well, Take, you see that staff right there? Take it, and you're, you're going to do some mighty, mighty, mighty miracles in my name. We see this in Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. We see Elijah do, do mighty, miraculous works. He, he creates food basically, basically out, of, out, of, out of nothing. He raises a woman's child from the dead, and after he does this, you know what the woman says to Elijah in, in, in uh, 1724. I said, so then the woman, after he raises her son, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. 
The point of, 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 of the miracles was to validate the message. The point of the miracles was to validate the message of Christ Jesus. Was to validate the message of the kingdom. That was the point. These, these miracles, these signs and, and wonders, they, they, they accompany the message. The, 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 the main point was not necessarily uh, a, a mercy ministry, in, in a sense. It's not, the healings weren't the main point. Yes, they pointed to the kingdom of God, yes. And yes, they pointed to the fact that there, were times, there comes a time where, where there's no sickness and no disease. But all these people that the, the disciples healed, all these people the disciples cured, they eventually died. They eventually got sick again. None of them are here today. It pointed to something greater. It pointed to the validation of the kingdom of God, the sovereign rule of God, the coming kingdom of God, the coming judgment of God, the power of God, and the fact that the king was there. That was the message that Jesus called them to preach, accompanied by signs and wonders. Today, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to proclaim his unfiltered and glorious message. Do you hear that? As his disciples, we are called to proclaim his unfiltered and glorious message. Friends, the message of the kingdom was offensive. Each time Jesus preached about the kingdom, the religious leaders got upset. People wanted to kill Jesus. The message of the kingdom, theology, biblical theology, it is offensive. But we are called to proclaim his message. Our message is not social justice. It's not. That is not the message of the church. Our message isn't politics. It's not. It's not our message. Our message isn't moralism. Just be a good person. Our message is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. That's our message. Christ's sovereign rule over everything, over every nation, over every tongue, over every leader, over every rule, over every law, over every blade of grass, over every molecule, that is our message, that Jesus reigns. Amen. And Paul says this in Romans 1.16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. How many of us are ashamed of Christ's message? Like our heart starts beating as if like it's like the craziest thing or because they're going to think I'm crazy if I tell them that like there was this guy who was perfect and, and he came to die for my sins. And you probably don't even believe that you're a sinner, but I, I just feel nervous. I'm, and I'm scared to share the gospel. Why? Because I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of the message. This is a foolish message. It's a message the world doesn't accept. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. Oh, God, give me the ability. Please, God, give me the ability to cure disease, to go to the cancer ward, and, and, just, and just bam, and, and everybody's cured. Everybody with, 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 with just bald heads from chemo, and their, and their, and their bodies are just uh, are, are swollen because of all the chemo. Let me go there, and let me do a mighty work. Then they believe. Have you not read the gospel of Luke thus far? The crowds see some amazing miracles. 
And you know what? Most of them don't follow Christ. But you know what Paul says? I preach the gospel. For it is the power of God. It is the power of God. What power? It doesn't come in, it doesn't just come in, in curing diseases and casting out demons. But preaching the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. What a glorious ministry we have, church. What a glorious, glorious, powerful ministry that we've been called to. The gospel ministry, all of you. We preach the unfiltered message. Matthew 28, again, Jesus sending them out to the Great Commission to make disciples doing what? Baptizing them and teaching them just a small tidbit, just enough to get them saved, right? No, to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Unfiltered. No holding back. The whole counsel of God. That's where Paul says this in Acts 20. 27, is he speaking to the Ephesian elders? For I did not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Not just the Romans road, not spiritual laws, not some quick little systematic theology. It's not quick and it's not packaged. It takes time to teach. The whole message of God, the whole counsel of God. You know what that requires, friends? Preparation and study. Studying God's word. Yes, the gospel ministry takes time. Yes, the gospel ministry takes discipline. Yes, the gospel ministry takes heart and commitment. But as we do that by faith, the Holy Spirit works. It's the power of God of salvation. And you, and you might think, well, our message isn't accompanied by miracles. And I, I would say, dear friends, yes, it is. If you are in Christ Jesus... Your message is accompanied by a miracle as well, and that is the miracle of a sanctified life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Peter did. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 11-12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, which can only be done by the power of the Spirit. You don't abstain on your own power. But in verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, again, only done by the Holy Spirit, being sanctified by him, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Friends, an unbelieving world, as you go to proclaim the gospel, they will see the miracle of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the validation that the world will see. That is what we're called to do and what we're called to be. Do you see sanctification in your life? You coming from, from, from death to life, from darkness to light, do you see that as a miracle? What a miracle that is. The miracle of sanctification. And we are called to go out by the power of the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, all of it. We're called to do that. And be that. And preach to the world and watch the Holy Spirit work, proclaiming his unfiltered message. Point four, Jesus' workers rely on Jesus' provision. 
We see this in verses 3 through 4. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. In whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Jesus gives his apostles here specific instructions on what to bring and what not to bring. And if, and if you'll notice, it's more about don't bring these things. And, and all, a lot of these things, we would probably say, well, these are pretty essential. Like you're sending us out. And, you know, we probably need the staff. We probably need a bag. I mean, he basically sends them out with the clothes on their back. That's it. Now, I can tell you, Pat can probably tell you this too. There's something very discouraging about going to a foreign place and not having your luggage. Cameron and I went to Zambia, and they lost our luggage. That was not, like, we get there, and we, we went to go stay with uh, Vody Bauckham, and I know you guys, most of you guys know this, and, and we get there, we don't have any cell phone reception, nothing. Like, we, we don't know where Vody is, it's late at night, super late at night. Like we, we don't have, like, our, our luggage is gone, no way to get hold of anybody, and there's kind of a helpless feeling, you kind of just got to laugh. Pat, you been there? You don't get the luggage. You don't get your stuff. It's not a great way to travel. But it's the way that Jesus tells his disciples to go out. It's the idea of a simple life. A simple ministry. That ministry wasn't a life about the pursuit of money. Ministry wasn't about the pursuit of notoriety or the pursuit of comfort. If you're going to be my apostle, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my my messenger, if you're going to be my worker, don't expect a life of luxury. Don't expect to be rich. Don't, Don't expect that people would make much of you. If we're honest, many times we can come to the ministry with selfish ambitions. We want to be made much of. And it might not be famous. We may just want a lot of friends. We want want to be well-liked. We want to be well-respected. We know there's plenty of people who do ministry for the money. I I I just want money. Jesus says to beware of such preachers. Beware. So we should beware of such preachers who are doing ministry for the money. Ultimately, we know as one apostle here who was listening to Jesus say this, who ultimately would betray Jesus for money, for 30 pieces of silver. He's the one who carried the money bag. Was, you can imagine the temptation here. Individuals that could cure uncurable diseases and cast out demons, you, you, you could market that. You could bring that to market. Could you imagine how much money you could probably make doing that? And there are people all over this country, preach, or all over this world, preaching false gospels, false healing ministries, making millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars praying on the hurting and poor. And there's a special place in the pit of hell for such people like that if they do not repent and trust in Christ. 
A, mess, uh, a messenger of Christ Jesus is not characterized by money and notoriety and comfort. That's not what the ministry is about. In a few weeks, Matt, Matt, Matt's going to preach that Jesus tells his disciples to take up the cross daily and follow him. He's going to get more. I won't, I won't preach his message for him. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever says that the gospel ministry that we're all called to, by the way, again, is about comfort. Just feeling nice worldly comfort. Ever. You're not going to find it. Joy, yes. Peace, yes. Hope, yes. Fruit, yes. Happiness, yes. Yes and yes. But not worldly comfort and not worldly riches. Special instructions on what to bring. Special instructions on who to stay with. They wouldn't just float around from house to house to house, you know, going from the nicest place to stay to the next. They would find a house where they've been received and they would stay there. This would have been a humble expression. Many missionaries, false missionaries in those days, would have gone from house to house accepting money and donations and, and they'd, they'd line their pockets. But, but here, this would have been a humble expression. Go there and, 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 and preach in and, and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. All of these things, from where they stayed to, to what they would not bring and how they would rely on, they, they, would just, they would have to rely on Jesus. They would have to rely on Jesus' provision, which is the best place to be in the ministry. Simply relying on Jesus. But here, notice that they, they would go from house to house, which would imply the need for people to support the ministry. There are those who are going and going and going, and there's people who are supporting. It's implied here in the text. There are people who are opening up their houses to such people, who are giving to such people. I love what James and Abby talked about this morning. We're called to support the ministry. We're called to be involved in the ministry. We're also called to support the ministry. I'd say a great way that James and Abby gave us this morning to support the ministry it's the gift card ministry. Let me strongly exhort us, church. If you can, as Abby said, if you can give a $5, bring a $5 in. Kids, I know you got $5. Bring a gift card in. Help. Contribute to the ministry according to your means. Contribute to the ministry of Community Bible Church. When, when, you know, Pat keeps us up to date often on, on, these, on these mission trips that are going. Contribute. Pray for. Participate. Dave always gives us updates on CVC. Let's contribute. Let's participate. The Contis are adopting. Let's contribute, participate. And I know many, many of us have, so I'm not, I'm not trying to lay down a guilt trip here. But there is joy in participating. There's joy in giving. It is a way that the Lord provides for the needs of the ministry through a local body. May we be faithful to do that. But as we Go out and proclaim the gospel today. He has given us his spirit and his word. That's what he's given us. He's given us his spirit and the word. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you in your workplace? Is that enough for you as a mother? Is that enough for you as a husband? Is that enough for you as a business owner? 
Is that enough for you as an elder? Is that enough for you as a student, as a child? The fact that to go out and proclaim, he's given us the spirit and his word. You don't need more time. You don't need more money. You don't need a different house or a bigger. I just, I'll start being hospitable and bring people in my home to teach them the gospel as soon as I have a bigger home. No. I just need to be in full-time ministry, paid vocational ministry, and then I can finally start to share the gospel. No. I need to go to seminary. No, you don't. You don't need to go to seminary. I need to be an expert. No, you don't. You have the Spirit and the Word. Go minister. Go minister. Go share the gospel where you're at. Relying on the provision of Christ. Five, Jesus' workers trust Jesus with the results. Jesus' workers trust Jesus with the results. In verse 5 we see, and, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This is specific instructions that they had if their message was rejected by people in the, in the, in the town. If the town or the village was rejecting them, they were to sh- leave, not just stay there, not just not digging their heels. We're not leaving until you guys accept it. We're in this for the long haul. No, at this point, when their message was rejected, they left. They left the town, and they shook the dust off their feet as a testimony against them. Now, this kind of sounds probably to us like a rude act. Like, like if I were to go to somebody's house, and I just start, like, you know, take off my shoes, and I just start pounding them together, and that's kind of, it would kind of, like, kind of be weird. I wouldn't recommend that. I, I don't think that, I think contextually, I wouldn't recommend that today. Probably if someone rejects the gospel at KSU, don't start shaking your feet at them. That'd be just, you'll end up on TikTok or something. I just... Don't, don't, don't. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be good, all right? This wasn't a rude or, but in this text, in this context, it wasn't a, a rude or a sarcastic act, okay? But rather, it was a serious but gracious warning for them to consider that judgment was coming. I'm going to be a reminder to you that judgment is coming, and right now you stand condemned. It was a serious message. It was a serious message. As we think about our ministries, do we give such warnings? Are we scared to give such warnings to our friends, to our family members, to our children? that unless you repent and trust in Christ, judgment is coming, you stand condemned. We're afraid that oftentimes when we do that, we're going to push somebody away even further. We're going to lose the relationship. We're going to lose the ability to preach the truth to them. No, we're, we're just simply called to trust Jesus. He's given us a message. He's given us a message. And we're called to preach that whole message and trust Jesus with the result. He's not, we're not called to make apologies for Jesus. We're not called to filter the message. We preach the whole message and trust Jesus with the result.
We go and preach the message. You know what? Some are going to come. Those who have been given eyes to see, they're going to come. And they're going to trust Jesus. And those who haven't been given eyes to see, they're not going to trust Jesus. They're not. We are just called to be his messengers. This should take some weight off your shoulders. This should. Because no matter how good of a communicator you are, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how smart you are, there's no way that you can present the truth in such a way that's going to make an unregenerate heart regenerate on your own. It's all according to the power of the Spirit. Those who've been given eyes to see, those who've been given to Christ will come. All that the Father gives to Christ will come. We just simply come and we present the message. So you're, maybe you're discouraged this morning by your children and their, their lack of trust in the Lord, or your family, or your friends, or your coworkers, or, or you're discouraged about the stranger that you presented the gospel to at, at Publix. And they rejected Christ. They're constantly rejecting Christ. Again, there's nothing you can do to make them trust Christ. Just as Paul says, preach the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. Finally, verse 6, Jesus' workers, they get to work. Jesus' workers get to work. We see this there, verse 6, and they departed. Jesus is giving them their rules. Jesus has trained them. Jesus has given them their guidelines, their commandments, their commission. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They obey Christ. But notice this. They depart, they go, and they're preaching what? They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. Now, what did it say back there in verse 2? He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And what does it say here in verse 6? They left and they were preaching the gospel. Friends, the gospel and the kingdom of God, the proclamation and the preaching of the kingdom of God is the same message. It's the same message. We see this in Romans. Turn your Bibles to Romans 1. I want you to see this. As Paul begins Romans, in Romans 1, 1 through 6, he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, okay, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This gospel, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, 
concerning his son who is descended from David. He's getting into very much of this kingdom language, this eternal purpose of God type language. This sovereign message of God's rule. The sovereign message of God's plan. His plan of redemption. His whole plan of redemption. His whole plan to to redeem the world and to judge those who reject Christ. His message of grace and his message of wrath. His message to save the world by sending a lamb to be slain to satisfy the wrath of God, to bring many sons to himself. The message of the kingdom and the gospel, it it is the same message. Is this your understanding of the gospel? Or is your gospel simply how can someone not go to hell when they die? I'm going to go share the gospel. Are you really? Are you going to share the gospel the way the apostles shared the gospel? Are you? If we're honest, we often preach a man-centered gospel. It starts with man and it ends with man. It starts with God has a wonderful plan for your life. You're at the center. Guess what? Good news, my friend. In the end, it's here's what you must do. Pray this prayer. Walk this aisle. Do, do, do. It's man-centered from start to finish. The true gospel, friends, from start to finish, is all about God. It is God-centered. In the beginning, God. 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 You sinned against God. You deserve the wrath of God, which he will bring. But God in his sovereignty, he's he's given this wonderful plan of redemption through his son that he initiated, that he offered. You you had nothing to do with it. It's not because like he didn't do this because you were worthy of it. He didn't deserve it, but he did it to demonstrate his glory. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is about God. The gospel isn't about making much of you and you're just so lovable and you're so cute and you're so nice that, that God, he just happened to oh, like a little puppy wanted to come down and save you. God sent his son to die, yes, for your sin, but he did it for his glory. God's primary goal and primary concern in everything he does from Genesis to, with Abraham to Exodus with the Israelites through the prophets and the kings to sending Christ to the works of the apostles and Acts, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it primarily is for his glory alone. He is working all things together for his glory. All of it. And for our good. These aren't Contrasting messages here. That God is glorified and He is working all things for our good. 
So what are you saying, Brian, that every time I share the gospel with a stranger, I've got I've to open up Genesis and, and I've got to preach this whole counsel of God's word in order for them to be safe? That's not what I'm saying. No. But I would say this. The primary way that we should make disciples, church, that we're called to make disciples, should be through the ongoing teaching of God's word. This requires commitment, and it requires relationships. It's it's going to require us to get into small groups and bring people who don't know Christ to those small groups to teach them. And guess what? They're going to ask crazy questions that you don't know the answer to. They're going to make outlandish statements. It's going to be messy. But you know what? If the Lord works through messiness and muck and mire and stress and circumstances that aren't ideal, as we, as his workers, we get to work by simply being faithful to proclaim his message. This is an exciting ministry that he's called us to. It's an, ex- and it, it's an exciting job that he's called us to. The ministry of proclamation. The ministry of making disciples. And he started with himself and he gave this ministry to the apostles. In a few weeks, we're gonna, he gives his, this ministry to more people. And in Acts chapter 1, we see that this, this small little flame turns into a blazing forest. Not through gimmicks, not through tricks, not through man-centered tactics, not through buildings, not, not, not through personalities, but through faithfulness. As God's people who have been called by him and transformed by him, they go out and they share the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit work. It's that simple. It's that simple and it's that glorious. Friends, Jesus sends his workers out in his power to proclaim his message, rely on his provision, and friends, church, let's trust him with the results. Amen.